from my favorite broom closet in Los Angeles, California. This is the Sideline Dissident Podcast. I'm Bradley Whitaker. We'll be talking a little bit today about Nick Saban, Alabama head coach. Apparently, he almost went to the New York Giants this past offseason. I'll talk about what that means for Saban's future. Will he try to make a jump to the NFL this offseason or within the next few years? I'll even also talk about uh, potential head coach openings, what might be a good fit for Nick Saban. Also, the New England Patriots made a blockbuster trade this morning, sending Jamie Collins to the Cleveland Browns for a third-round draft pick. Uh, the Patriots would have received a compensatory pick regardless this offseason uh, because Collins would have been a free agent and likely wouldn't have re-signed. So it is a bit of an unusual move, but I'll break that down a little bit as well but first starting with the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott and you know nobody really saw that coming uh, yesterday it, it seemed like for once a team had gotten to Dak Prescott and you know that Dallas Cowboys offensive line that's you know played incredible all season you know they they deserve a lot of credit yesterday for for helping the uh Cowboys carried through those final two drives there in overtime and at the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, but you got to give Prescott credit and Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, Dak was calling audibles at the line. He was reading defenses. And the Eagles were, were throwing everything they could at Prescott. Rookie quarterback in his eighth career game. And, you know, defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. This guy does not get enough credit for the Philadelphia Eagles. He would drop back defensive tackles and bring in linebackers. You did not know what was going to happen. And, you know, Sam Bradford struggled with the, in the Vikings offensive line last week against this, this same Philly defensive front. And, uh, you know, granted, the Eagles had two tackles that were missing, but you know, Dak. I'm not. You know, I'm not saying he didn't struggle early, but because he did, he had a poor first half, and he made a few bad throws down the stretch that could have been costly. But you know, I, I'm scared because his margin for error is so small. Uh, you know, I think Tony Romo's healthy. Uh, Jerry Jones came out saying to, that Tony's not ready today, but you know, it should be Dak's job. Obviously, they've only lost one game this season. You can't take the starting job away from Prescott. But, you know, let's just say uh, Prescott hadn't thrown those last two touchdowns. Let's say the final score ended up 23-16. to And, you know, that dangerous throw he threw into the corner of the end zone had been picked off and instead of batted down on uh, an offensive interference call. Uh, let's say it had been a 23-16 to final score. Everyone would be calling for uh, Dak to lose the starting job and give it back to Tony Romo. And it makes sense. I mean, Romo is 15 and, f and 4. 15 and 4 in his last 19 starts. But, you know, 15 and 4 is a great record, but that's still losing 21% of your games. Prescott's only lost one. And, you know, you have to give a quarterback an off day every now and then. Not everyone's going to come out there and. And play and play almost undefeated football. You know the Cowboys could be undefeated. They should have won that first game of the the season against uh, against the New York Giants. Uh, what's the, what what's their record now? Six and one, coming off a of bye week. Best team in the NFC, the Dallas Cowboys. Who would have thought that would be the case? 
But I, it just seems like nobody wants to see Tony Romo in pads as the backup. You know, there's this resistance, like, uh, from Jerry Jones, like, this PR. It's going to tarnish Dallas's PR as if, you know, I think they kind of hit rock bottom last year uh, as an organization, the Cowboys. And, you know, Romo was out, but there was all the issues with domestic violence and then what happened with Des Bryant in the locker room. And, you know, they they just weren't healthy. That offense wasn't healthy last year. But, you know, they lost Romo again this year and Dak stepping up. But, you know, uh, I think the Cowboys are going to win next week. But what happens, what happens when they play the Bengals or when they play the Packers? Or, or they've already played those teams. Excuse me. What happens when they play the Steelers or when they play the Vikings? If Dak loses one of those games, both of those games are on the road. Uh, you know, Dallas has Cleveland coming up next week. That should be an easy win, even though it's on the road. But then they have Pittsburgh on the road. Two straight at home, one against Baltimore, one against the Redskins. Redskins are a solid offensive team, at least. And, you know, the NFC East is stronger than we anticipated this year. So, you know, that could be a trap game. But then they're back on the road in Minnesota. Very difficult game. Uh, the Vikings are healthy. That game's... Uh, First of the month, first of December against Minnesota. You know, Dak can't screw up. It's like he has to keep winning to keep his job. And, you know, at some point, Jason Garrett has to come out and say he's our quarterback, regardless of if Romo is healthy. Because at some point, Romo has to come back. And, you know, there was some resistance when Drew Bledsoe came back from injury after Tom Brady had played so well. But Brady still lost some games. Dak's only lost one game, and it, it, was, it was a fluke. They shouldn't have lost that game. There were some drop passes that, that weren't his fault. And, you know, Dak seems to fit this offense a little better. You know, I, I think it's stupid to draft a running back in the first round, but it made sense for the Dallas Cowboys this past offseason because they had... The team built, they had the infrastructure, the offensive line ready for Elliott to thrive on day one. And Elliott doesn't take many plays off. Clearly the most talented running back that, that's come out of college in a while. Uh, again, I think the running back position is still overvalued even today, but it made sense. And it made a lot of sense with Tony Romo. You know, just a quick-throwing pocket-passing quarterback, but Dak has thrived in that role, and then he's added more options. You know, his, he's able to throw on the run a lot like Aaron Rodgers did when he won the MVP. Uh, he's, he's just laser accurate throwing on the run, but he's also mobile like Russell Wilson, but he doesn't decide to run all the time like you would see Cam Newton do. He's able to slide. He's able to protect himself. You know, they need to keep Dak as the starter and trade Romo in the offseason. Now, it's great that Tony Romo's your backup, and I think he's the kind of guy that's not going to put up a fuss about it, but if Dak does go down at some point this season, then you have Tony Romo in there. And Romo's a smart quarterback. He'll, he'll step right up, and just as Drew Bledsoe did in the AFC Championship game in 2002 when Tom Brady went down, uh, Romo could step up. That could happen. This is the NFL, and quarterbacks are getting hurt now more than ever, so... I think at some point, you know, they're gonna, they're probably gonna let this drag on for another, another two weeks, saying Tony's not ready. But at some point, Tony's gonna be ready, and I think Tony's ready now. Jason Garrett has to come out and say, "Shut up, Jerry Jones. 
Tony Romo, you're our backup. Dak Prescott, you're our starting quarterback. And if Prescott has two implosions in a row, you know, two, he loses two consecutive games, and then maybe you rethink it. But his margin for error is too small. And, you know, had the Cowboys lost 23-16, to 16, everyone would be saying, uh, give the job back to Tony Romo. But I don't think that's the right thing to do. Dak can't be perfect. He certainly wasn't perfect yesterday, but he stepped up when he needed to. Bizarre story came out this weekend that I didn't see coming. And, you know, you hear a lot about successful college coaches. You see this a lot in the NBA, but it's been happening more and more lately in the NFL where, you know, the most successful coaches are often rumored to be going to the next level. Uh, I don't think a week goes by where there isn't a story out there surfacing about John Calipari leaving Kentucky basketball, you know, and you see these stories a lot with Nick Saban in Alabama. You know, people ask, how can Saban continue to dominate? You know, doesn't he want to move on to the next level? And it makes sense. You know, Chip Kelly was a great coach at the college level, but it's clear he wants to challenge himself at the NFL. Uh, Kelly, Kelly's lucky because, you know, he's having a rough season in San Francisco, but He'll keep his job another year, and unless next year is a failure with the Niners and Kelly gets to really turn that team around, he'll probably go back down to college before working his way up. But Nick Saban at Alabama, there isn't much more he can do other than rack up a few more national championships. So is he going to move on? Is he going to move to the NFL? Well, a report came out this weekend saying that he almost took the New York Giants job in the offseason. And the only reason he didn't do it is because he claims his wife didn't want to move. But rumor has it, if Saban was offered $10 million, that would have been enough to take uh, for him to go to the Giants. $10 million. That's the price. Do you think it's worth it for an NFL team? I mean, Saban's been 15-17 and 17 in the NFL as a head coach. That's not a large sample. Uh, it takes a while to turn around an NFL team. And 15 and 17 isn't horrible. You know, I, Jeff Fisher seems to go 7 and 9 every year and keep his job. It's weird. If you make the Super Bowl once in the NFL, it's almost like you have absolute job security. But let's say Saban, you know, says he does have... He's had enough after this offseason, and he does want to look into being an NFL head coach again. What are the possible job openings? I think the obvious one is Jacksonville. Gus Bradley, he's gone, but uh, Jacksonville, <laughs> Nick Saban's not going to Jacksonville. Buffalo Bills and Rex Ryan, that's probably a bit iffy at this point. Ryan's had a lot of early success this season, more so with the offense than the defense. Uh, but he doesn't get along with ownership, so I wouldn't be surprised if those two part ways at the end of the season. I can't believe Chuck Pagano, <clears throat> excuse me, Chuck Pagano still has his job in Indianapolis. Uh, he has a terrible relationship with ownership. And, you know, Andrew Luck is playing <laughs> better. But he still doesn't have the offensive line around him, and, and Pagano's just kind of wasted Luck's talent. It just feels like that team's sort of been falling apart, and I don't see him surviving another offseason. 
Uh, the Lions have probably overperformed, so Jim Caldwell's job might be safe. And same with Mike McCoy in San Diego, but uh, that's a that's a good team in a tough division, San Diego. Uh, and they lost another fairly close one this week in, in Denver uh, in a tough environment. So I think Mike McCoy could hold on to his job. But of those teams I listed, the only viable options for Nick Saban, I think, are the Indianapolis Colts and San Diego Chargers. Again, I think Mike McCoy will probably save his job. So that leaves us with Indianapolis. Now, it would, be a sh it would be a jump for Saban to join Indianapolis the way it is because Nick Saban likes to work with smart people. Lane Kiffin's his offensive coordinator, Kirby Smart, defensive coordinator, and he treats his players like business partners. You know, there's a reason Alabama has become a feeder system to the New England Patriots these last few seasons. Uh, Bill Belichick treats his players like business partners. Do your job. That's their slogan. It's the same thing in Alabama. And, you know, I, I, it sounds cliche, but Belichick, Saban, some of the great, and the great players, they don't deserve enough credit for working hard. I mean, it's clear Bill Belichick puts in 14-hour workdays. And I, I truly believe to be great at anything, you need to put in 14-hour workdays. You know, if you're working eight hours at a job and that's too much for you, then you probably should have a different job. Belichick's passionate about what he does, so he's able to work 14 hours a day like it's nothing, and he spends most of those 14 hours learning. I think the same thing can be applied to Nick Saban. That's why those two have a great relationship that's developed a lot over the last few years. So my only issue with Saban going to Indianapolis, I think it's a perfect fit. Uh, Nick Saban and Andrew Luck, he didn't, have, he didn't have a quarterback in Miami when he was head coach and was still a sub-500 head coach in the NFL. Small sample size, again, 15-17 and 17 with the Miami Dolphins. Nick Saban. I think if he took over the Colts right now, right now, they're, they're at least a 9-7 and seven football team. But Saban isn't going to go to Indianapolis unless they get rid of their general manager, too, Ryan Grigson. You can't blame everything on Chuck Pagano. I think Chuck Pagano is a great head coach that would have thrived maybe 10 years ago, but he just doesn't seem to have the offensive expertise to protect Andrew Luck the way he should. And... It's almost felt as if Pagano is dealing with what was a competent organization under Tony G Dungy, Jim Caldwell, and obviously when Peyton Manning was there, he carried most of the load, and that's just slowly unraveled over the last four years. And Andrew Luck's performance, you know, they got a little better his first three years every single season. That kind of masked what was really going on in that organization. So... If Pagano's going to go, and the Colts really want to go after Nick Saban, which I believe they should, and they should pay a lot of money for him, they have to get rid of general manager Ryan Grigson, too. Finally, early this morning, Jamie Collins was traded to the Cleveland Browns for a third-round draft choice. 
Uh, I know I'm talking about the New England Patriots a lot, but I don't care. They're my team. And when you're talking about the best example in football, you should talk about the Patriots. And if you're talking about the worst example in football, you should probably talk about the Browns or Jacksonville or the Colts management. That's why I talk about those teams a lot. And, you know, I am a Patriots fan. I'm willing to admit it. But I was a bit shocked when they got rid of Jamie Collins. I mean, he's, he's the most athletic player on that defense. Uh, and, you know, I didn't think Jamie Collins was going to come back this offseason. His contract runs out at the end of the year. But, you know, Belichick is, is willing to cut players and give them up one or two years before he really should because then he can begin investing in the future. And it... It usually pays out big. But what's going on with Collins here isn't just that. Here's what Michael Lombardi tweeted uh, earlier this morning after the uh, trade went through. He said, I'm not surprised by the Pats trading Collins. Not been playing well at all. They need to get the defense fixed. This will get their attention. Collins on the second play of the game does whatever he wants and Bills gain 28 yards. He's talking about the second play of the game. Uh... Jamie Collins, it looked like he made a bad read or something. And there's been plenty examples of this happening. I'm going to continue reading Lombardi's quote. Been happening all year. It was not going to continue. You are either coaching it or allowing it to happen. Belichick decided he was not going to allow allow it to happen. Collins is talented, but I have been all over how badly the Patriots defense has been playing all season. This is not just a one-game decision. Watch the tape. Grade the player. This is a production business, not a potential business. Now, Lombardi's right to an extent. The Patriots' defense has struggled if you're judging them by the standard of the New England Patriots. They're 14th in the league in yards per game allowed. Uh, Very mediocre in that department. That being said, they're 5th in points per game. So, defense doesn't give up a lot of points. But they give up a lot of yards. Now, they made a lot of goal line stops. That's obviously the reason. But most of the teams they've played have had a lot of weak quarterbacks. And if you're, you're 14th in the league in yards given up, and then 5th in points given up, that's going to catch up to you. Belichick knows this. And according to Ian Rappaport, you know, e, uh, Jamie Collins wanted to be paid. He wanted to be paid a ton of money in the offseason. And he also clashed with his coaches over it a little bit. That's what Ian Rappaport says. Uh, But let's look at the Patriots, what their free agents are at the end of the season. You know, it makes sense to get rid of Collins early, especially if things aren't working out. He's having issues with the coaches, which I'm, I'm not sure. That's probably overblown. But the free agents of the Patriots at the end of the season, Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan, Dante Hightower, Chris Long, he's made a great impact. Those are just the defensive players. Martellus Bennett's also going to be a free agent. Do the Patriots want to keep that two tight end set? Probably. Either they'll replace Bennett with someone or they'll have to re-sign him. And LeGarrette Blunt's also a free agent. He's getting up there in age. So, you know, I'm reading off these names. At least half of those guys aren't coming back knowing the Patriots. So this, this is a similar move to 
New England trading uh, Chandler Jones before the season. They traded him to Arizona, and uh, he's made a big impact on that defense. But, of course, you watch Chandler Jones will be negligible out there in two years. Belichick just seems to call these things before they happen, about a year early.